Well, good morning. That question obviously resonated with a lot of you guys. You were excited for that one. So what are some of the worst jobs you had? Shout it out. Waitress? That can be rough. What'd you say? Detasseling. I heard a lot of those. I've never done detasseling. Sounds like fun. Telemarketing. Whew. Never had to do that either. That's rough. Um, what'd you say? Clean the butcher shop. Oof. All right, Kirk, you're the winner. All right, well, we're so happy that you guys made it. Well done. You somehow found out about it, either email or social media or a friend. Uh, we're so glad that you made it. Thank you for being uh, flexible. Um, thank you to the Bay, like Cindy said, for just allowing us to gather here so last minute. Um, and today we're going to continue this conversation that we started about a month ago called This Ordinary Life. Because a lot of times uh, we think that God is found on the mountaintops or that he's found when we just separate ourselves in isolation and walking through the forest. But the thing about it is God is found in the ordinary moments of life as well. God is found in the extraordinary, but he also wants to meet us in the ordinary, the simple, the everyday rhythms of our life. Whether we're brushing our teeth, or sleeping, or eating, or going to work, God wants to meet us there with his presence. And so how do we become aware of that? And so today we want to dive into work, right? That everyday, ordinary rhythm of work. How many of you guys in this room would say, I enjoy the work that I do? Raise your hand. Wow, nice. How many would you say, I dislike the work that I do? Nice. Could be both. Yes, it can be both. But you're getting ahead of me, John. So um, how many of you guys would say you're still trying to figure out what you want to do with the rest of your life for work? A good number of you. Yeah, work, it's a, it's a significant portion of our life. It's a significant part of our everyday weekly daily rhythms. It's probably a thing we do more than anything else. And so it's important. And so really today when, when we're talking about work, I, I want to step into two tensions. The two tensions that I want to step into is uh, the, the paralyzing choice of you can do anything with your life. And the second tension that I want to step into is, is work a blessing or is it a curse? So today's going to be a fun day. Uh, I'm excited for today. Uh, so the first tension that I want to step into is just the amount of choices that we have when it comes to what we can do with our life and our work. I'll never forget it. I was 17 years old, and I was on a fishing trip with my dad. And my dad's a very internal person. He doesn't uh, typically externalize his feelings. Uh, he internalizes a lot of his thoughts and ideas. Uh, I'm nothing like him. Actually, I'm exactly like him, if you know me. But my dad, he, uh, we're on this fishing trip, and he says, Bill, what do you want to do with your life? Because I'm getting ready to kind of prepare for college. And I say, I don't know, Dad, I'm 17. Like, what are you talking about? And he goes, just know you can do anything. And I said, no, I can't. That's not true. He goes, yeah, yeah, you can do anything. And I'm like, I couldn't be president of the United States. He goes, no, you can be anything. I was like, Dad, I couldn't be an astronaut, Right? 
Because in order to be an astronaut, you probably would have to go to some Ivy League school. It would take forever. I do jumping jacks, and I get sick to my stomach. Like, it's not going to happen. And so he's like, no, you can do anything you want. And then I remember that sticking with me, and I was sitting in college orientation, and they hand you a slip of paper, and they're like, pick a major. What do you want to do with the rest of your life? And I remember just feeling this paralyzing fear because I didn't know. I didn't know what I wanted to do. Uh, And so I just chose. I was like, I don't know, math teacher. Uh, And I studied to be a math teacher and never did that. That was a waste of $80,000. Thanks a lot. Right? So, but it is, it's like we are, we have this choice that we can do anything with our life, but sometimes that choice can feel paralyzing. Uh, and I was, I was actually looking into this, like, why is that? Why, why does it feel paralyzing? And it's kind of like when, when we pick what we want to do with our life or our work, it's like standing in the cereal aisle. I think I have a picture of that, right? The cereal aisle, why does the cereal have to be so big? Why does there have to be so many cereals? It takes up a whole aisle, but they're all so delicious. I, I love cereal. Lucky Charms, Raisin Bran, Honey Crisps, Frosted Flakes, Apple Jacks. I love cereal, but there's too many choices. You never know what to choose. Uh, and so often life can feel that way. And I think one of the blessings that we have is the ability to choose, but sometimes those choices can feel overwhelming. Uh, they actually did a couple studies that I was reading about. Um, this study, it was done by uh, a couple, and uh, they published it. And so what this study was, was they set up a, uh, a bunch of gourmet jams in, in a supermarket, a gourmet supermarket. And they set up, one day they set up 24 of these jams for people to come up and sample And so 24 different jams, and then when someone would sample it, they would give them a dollar off coupon for the jam. And so they did that one day, and then the next day, they only sampled six jams, did the same thing, gave them a dollar off coupon to buy one of the jams. And what they found was that uh, the people who had only six choices were 90% more likely to buy a jam than the people that were presented with 24 choices. Uh, there was another study done, and it was uh, Vanguard. So they, they're kind of like an investment for mutual funds. And so what they, what they figured out was for every uh, 10 mutual funds that was offered to someone for the retirement plan, they were 2% less likely to sign up for one. So if someone was offered 50 different options for a mutual fund for the retirement plan, they were 10% less likely to even make a choice and just put it off till tomorrow. And so people were literally putting off uh, saving for retirement, potentially up to $5,000 a year matching, just because the overwhelming volume of choice. It's like when you go into a restaurant and you have a big giant menu, and you order a cheeseburger, but when the cheeseburger comes, you're like, that buffalo chicken sandwich looks real good. And they also find that the more choices that you have, Uh, the less likely you are to be happy uh, when you do finally make a choice. Because you're always kind of thinking in your head, well, the grass could be greener on the other side of the fence. And so it's like that with our work. We feel this tension. I know I feel a lot, and I'm sure you do too. Am I picking the right career? Am I dating the right person? 
Like, because we all have these choices, and these choices can feel overwhelming. And it is a gift that we have, but I wonder, with our work, what does God have to say about our work? What does God have to say about the infinite choices that we have to spend our time working? Does he care about what jobs we take? Does he care if we find the job of our dreams or not? Uh, And that's really what I want us to kind of dive into today, is what does the scriptures tell us about work? Uh, What does God say about work? And then how do we uh, really dive into the everyday rhythms of finding God in the work that we do? Um, So if you have a copy of the scriptures, we're going to be right in the first page, Genesis chapter 1. We're going to jump right in. Uh, I'm pretty sure we have the words up on the screen to the scripture if you don't have a copy. Uh, But we're going to jump in Genesis 1.1. So, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. One thing I find interesting is this. When we hear that very first phrase, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. When I say the word earth, what image comes to mind? Don't put up the picture yet. What image comes to mind? A circle? Who else? It's not a trick question, I promise. What image comes ahead when I say earth? What do you see? You see the globe, right? We see the globe. Keith's, Keith is a flat earth, I guess, because he's saying flat, right? <laughs> <laughs> so we'll try to convince you later uh, that you're wrong. But, uh, <laughs> but we see a globe. But you know what's funny about that? Is that image that pops into every single one of our heads when we hear the word earth, that is a recent phenomenon in human history. Because the first color picture of the globe, of the earth that we see, I have a picture of it. They call it the blue marble, Right? So the blue marble was taken on December, December 7th, 1972, when Apollo 17 was traveling to the moon, right? 72. That's only like 45 years. So for 45 years, humans, when, when we hear the word earth, that's what we picture immediately. But this story is 3,500 years old. So what, what was the image that went in their heads when they hear this word earth. I don't know, but it's fascinating to think about, isn't it? It is, because for for someone reading this 3,500 years ago, they're probably just thinking their immediate context, what they see all around them, the mountains and the valleys, the trees, the plants, the crops. And so it's significant. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, the Hebrew word there is one of my favorites. It's tohu wabohu. It's kind of fun to say, isn't it? Tohu wabohu, right? Formless and void. It means it's basically formless. It's shapeless. It's empty. It's chaos, right? Because it says God is hovering over the waters. And so in a lot of uh, the scriptures here are actually, they're speaking to a lot of the ancient creation myths. And waters are always to significant. Uh, it, the significance there is chaos, right? So, so God is taking this chaos and he's creating order out of the chaos is what's happening here. And then this creation story, we won't read through it, but we see God bringing order to the chaos. God creates order from light 
in darkness. And then God creates order and he creates the actual dome of the sky and he creates the earth. Uh, We see God create order by taking the water and bringing up the land out of the water. And then God fills those arenas. God fills outer space with stars and planets. God fills the sky with birds and the waters with fish. God causes plants to be birthed and to grow out of the soil. Uh, And then God creates animals and humans. And then it says here, uh, the beginning of chapter 2, it says, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work he created that he had done. So we have to see here that God is the original hard worker, right? And when it says God rested, it doesn't mean God is exhausted and tired. It just means it's completed. It's done. And now God gets to sit on the throne and oversee the creation that he made. And so we have to understand, in order for us to understand our work, we have to understand that God is at work. And what's also significant uh, is what God is doing is he's cultivating an environment for growth. So God creates order out of chaos, and then what he's doing, he's cultivating the environment for things to grow, an atmosphere, and clouds, and rain, and land, and soil, and then he's, he's allowing these plants to have seeds so that they can produce more plants. So he's creating an environment where things can grow uh, on their own, is what he's accomplishing. And then what God does we find when he creates mankind. So God created mankind in his own image. and the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you, I give you, every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. And so what God does is he creates and he works to create an abundance so that he can give it away, so that he can share. His work creates an abundance so that he can share with humanity. So then... What's our work? And I, I, I found this very is interesting when I was reading through chapter 2. So chapter, Genesis chapter 2, uh, it kind of it goes back and retells the story. Retells it in a slightly different order, but it retells the story. And what, what I think is really profound in is in chapter 2, verse 5, it says, Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had sprung up. For the Lord had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. There was no one to work the ground. So what's significant here is God's purpose and design for humanity is to work. I think sometimes when people talk about the beginning, the Garden of Eden, what, what sometimes people picture is like, I don't know, naked volleyball in the Garden of Eden, right? It's like, we're just going to sit around in hammocks all day and do nothing. But what's interesting is God's purpose, when things were perfect, was for us to work. And to work hard. 
Why? Because God works hard. And actually those three things that, that, that God has done in his work, he hands to us. He gives to us. That we get to, uh, we get to create order out of chaos. Take things under control. It's why God says to fill the earth and subdue it. Now that sounds like a harsh word. It sounds like you're like holding something down by the neck, right? Like subdue, submit. But actually what, it, what that means is to subdue something is to maximize its potential. And so to have a, uh, it's like having uh, an apple tree. If you have an apple tree growing in the wild, apples are going to fall and more trees are going to grow, Right? But if you have a human who has one apple tree, they can take those apples, they can take those seeds, and they can plant rows, right? And then they could find a new apple tree, and they can create another row of apple trees. And a couple human beings could actually maximize the potential of that tree in order to feed hundreds of people. And so God's idea for human work is that we would maximize the potential of the earth that he's given to us. It's this blessing. And then God says, be fruitful and increase in number to us. Be fruitful, increase in number. And why does he say that to humans? He doesn't say that to anything else. He doesn't say it to rabbits. He doesn't say, be fruitful and increase in number. Because rabbits, when they're fruitful, they just create more rabbits. Mosquitoes, when they're fruitful, they just ruin our summers. Right? But with humans, he says, increase in number, be fruitful. Because when humans, when we multiply, uh, we create work. We maximize the potential of the world that God has given us. We create families, we create communities and neighborhoods. We create art and music and homes. And we have this ability to maximize this potential that God placed in the world with our work. And then we're presented with the problem, right? So the story goes on, and many of you guys probably know the story, but God presents Adam with this choice. He says to him in chapter 2, verse 15, the Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And that moment, essentially what God is doing is he's saying, will you continue to allow me to define what is good and what is evil? You've been given this task to do work and to maximize the potential of the world that I gave you. But will you continue to allow me to define what is good and what is evil? Because our work always is going to present us with a moral choice. It's always going to present us with the opportunity to choose what is right Or what is wrong? Uh, Are we going to want more? Are we going to desire more? And Adam, in that moment, he chooses uh, his own desires. He, He essentially is making the declaration that he now wants to choose what is good and what is evil. And he wants to take that away from God. And what happens is God shows up and, uh, he, he speaks to Adam and Eve because of the choice that they made. And this is what he says to Adam. He says, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. 
It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and dust you will return. Is this good news for Adam? Not your question, no. It's bad news, right? Because now there's opposition to his work. Uh, God promises him three times, you will eat, you will eat, you will eat. But now there's opposition, there's thorns, there's weeds. Does anyone like weeds? No. You like weeds? Nice. All right. Some of them are kind of nice. I remember uh, when we moved into our house uh, a couple years ago, my neighbor crossed the street. Uh, we bought it in the fall, and then spring hit, and we had this area. It was kind of like a garden, and some plants were growing, and my neighbor was like, oh, that's rhubarb. I'm like, sweet, free rhubarb, right? I don't think I've ever eaten rhubarb in my life besides maybe the odd slice of rhubarb crumble or something. So I'm like, sweet, free rhubarb. So it starts growing, and it gets pretty big. And then we go on vacation, and we come back, and these rhubarb is like four feet tall, three feet wide, giant leaves. And I was like, I don't think this is rhubarb. (laughs) It wasn't. It was like... It was burdock, which is a weed that looks like rhubarb. Uh, and the stalk was really big. And I remember I went to Home Depot and bought a shovel. And on the second one, I'm digging it out and my shovel snapped. I'm like, these are like superhuman weeds. But weeds, they, they give us opposition. They are a gardener's nightmare. And so now Adam sees opposition to his work. Uh, and it's like what you said, John. Like, do we love our job? Do we dislike our job? For most of us, it's both. It's a little bit of both. Why? Because now our work, there's opposition. There's toil. We may be presented with the right moral choices and make them, but our coworkers doing the same thing, and their choices affect our lives and the things that happen to us. Uh, maybe we had that entrepreneurial endeavor that just didn't seem to take off or get off the ground. Uh, and so work is hard. It's not always easy. But what we have to remember is the way God designed work for us was a blessing. Was when things were good and things were perfect, God designed it in a way that we would be able to, he handed it to us to create order out of chaos and subdue uh, this good world that he gave us, to cultivate environments for growth. And then ultimately, just as God creates so that he can give, he calls us to do the same, right? That as, as we work and as we work hard, we see a surplus in our lives for what? So we can store it away or for us to be able to share it with others, share it with the world. And so what do we do now? right? How do we deal with this tension of we can essentially do whatever we want to do with our work? We've been given that gift from the people who came before us. You know, maybe our uh, grandparents, if we said to them, I don't like my job, they're like, you don't like your job. It's your job. Just do it, right? But for us, we've been given this gift. We do have this choice, and we have this choice, But understand that whatever you put your hand to, 
that work is sacred, right? The original, does, the, the original highlight of what a good godly work is, is a gardener in a garden. And I think sometimes, and I've know, I know I've, I've felt this way, is we feel sometimes like we have to do something huge or massive or world-changing. But sometimes what God is calling us to is just to be a gardener. Some of us were called to clean toilets. That's a blessing, by the way. When you're on the road and you go to those really nasty gas stations and they give you the key to go to the back, you're like, no, thank you, right? But when you go and you find those gas stations with pristine bathrooms, you're like, this is where it's at. This is a gift from God right here. But all work is sacred. And so the the few things that I want to leave you with is just that, is we need to realize that all work is sacred is sacred. Whether we're teaching, whether we're a musician, whether we're a pastor, whether we're a janitor, whether we're a truck driver, uh, whether we're a farmer or a gardener, a stay-at-home mom, whether you sling essential oils for a living or you're an accountant or whatever it is, right? Your work is sacred. And how do we make it sacred? We take and we maximize its potential, we maximize its potential so that we can see something grow. We can see the fruit grow. Why? So that we can share it. Share it with others. Share it with our families. Right? The second thing is, this is an interesting one. I agree with it. Your work does not have to be enjoyable in order for it to fulfill you. It doesn't have to be enjoyable. Because you're not always going to enjoy your job. Even if you find your dream job, I'm telling you, there's going to come a day where you just don't enjoy it. Right? I, I really do. I, I love my job. I love it a lot. But there's a lot of days, some days, not a lot, a little days, that I don't enjoy it. Right? Where I'm just like, I can't be bothered with this. Uh, it's those days I'm like, Nicole, let's uh, drive to Florida. Let's go on vacation, see my parents. Um, but there is, there's those days where I'm just like, it's not enjoyable. I remember when I was, um, when I was getting into photography, I was reading forums about how to become a paid photographer. And I remember seeing people say over and over and over again, if you love photography, don't do it for a living. And I remember I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then when I began doing video and photography work for a living, I fell out of love with it. I enjoyed it as a hobby, but once it became a job, I kind of fell out of love with it. And that's the thing. Your work doesn't have to be enjoyable in order for it to fulfill you. Because part of it is there's going to be opposition. And part of stepping into what God is calling us to do is we work. And we work hard. Um, The third thing is this. Work does not define you as a person. Uh, I, I say this to people a lot. One of my biggest pet peeves is if I'm hanging out in a group of people and someone swears, they look at me and go, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> like, because in their mind, who I am is a pastor who's not allowed to hear swear words. It's like, oh, my ears, right? Because I think we do that, though. When you meet someone at a party, it's like, who are you? What do you do? Who are you? What do you do? And you put people into a box. But your work doesn't have to define you. What you do for a paycheck does not have to define you. And it doesn't even have to define your work. 
right? Because maybe you clean toilets, but on the side you're a gardener and you love doing that and you love growing food and selling it at the farmer's market. I don't know. But what you do for a paycheck doesn't have to define you. And the last thing I want to encourage you with is this. You can do anything you want. (laughs) You can do anything you want. Well, not anything, right? Not all work. Anything that takes advantage of another human being and makes them less human, not a good work. Not a work that God is enjoying, right? Because we always have to put it through that filter of, am I creating order out of something chaotic? Am I cultivating an environment for things to grow? Am I I seeing fruit come from this work so that I can share that fruit? If you can say yes to those three things, it's a good work. And so it's that freedom, right? You can do anything, right? You can choose to live a simple life and have a small, simple job, and that's okay. You can choose to start a world-changing nonprofit, and that's okay. You can choose to try to create a Fortune 500 company. Okay, that's okay. Just know these are all good things that God loves because God has designed us for work and for work to be a blessing. Truly is a blessing. And then when we step into these rhythms, this is how we find God every day in our work. And so even if you find yourself cutting concrete or you find yourself building houses or doing electrical work, we find God in those simple moments every day when we are choosing to cultivate these environments for growth in our everyday ordinary rhythms of life. That is where we encounter something really unique. And I think a lot of times... In church world, we see the goal being, if I could just create converts, if I could just get you to pray a prayer, I've done my job. But I think the gospel is so much bigger than just simply praying a prayer. It's inviting people into the way that God originally designed us to live. And the original design of how God wanted us to live was to take this earth that he gave us and to maximize its potential. And so we get to be invited into this. Through the blood of Jesus, we don't have to live a life of guilt and shame of those times where we didn't do that, those times where we did uh, do wrong and we did the opposite of what God calls us to do. We don't have to live a life of guilt and shame anymore because we're forgiven. We're forgiven, but then we're invited. We're invited to live into this relationship, to go back to the way that God originally planned it to be, to work with him, and to maximize this gift that he gave us in the world. And so my hope for you today is as you sit there, your brain is churning. And I hope God is speaking to your soul and really speaking to you to say, where is he calling you to do a good work? Where in your life do you maybe see something chaotic that God is calling you to bring order to? Where in your life do you feel like your work, uh, you can create an environment for growth? And where in your work do you see that you can maximize the potential and see things grow and then share those with the world, with the people all around you? Uh, Mosaic, would you pray with me?
God, thank you for this world that we live in. This blue marble floating in infinite space. God, I thank you that you crafted the earth in a way that there's so much potential. There's so many different works that we could step into. And God, we thank you for that gift. And God, my prayer is that you will begin to speak to our hearts and maybe even inspire us in a direction of the work that you're calling us to. Or God, maybe you're calling us to be content with the work that we're doing right now, to find fulfillment and enjoyment, even if it doesn't feel like the most significant job in the world. Maybe that's you. And God, I just pray that you will speak to us today. God, that we will work hard. And that in working hard and doing beautiful things in the world and taking your creation and maximizing its potential in whatever field that is, whether music or art or IT or hardwood floors, whatever that is, God, God, I pray that we will do it with all our might. Because like Paul says in the New Testament, we aren't just doing it for our boss. We're doing it as if we're doing it for you. And so, God, I thank you for the gift that is work. And, God, we just pray for the weeds to subside, for the thorns to be removed. God, help us, give us wisdom, and go before us. Thank you, Jesus, that you are inviting us into a right relationship with our creator. To work with him and be invited into this work. With this work that you're doing to renew and restore this earth that we live in right now. To see your kingdom come, to see your will be done, to see your work done on earth as it is in heaven. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.